Good morning. Back in the book of Revelation, as we keep plowing along, today is the demise of the beast and the false prophet, and you've heard the text read earlier, which is chapter 19 of the book of Revelation, verses 17 through 21. Back in 2010, the 1980s TV series titled The A-Team was made into a full-length motion picture. Now, the original TV series ran on NBC from January of 1983 until March of 1987. Now, both the TV series and the movie is about a group of ex-United States Army Special Forces that are led by Colonel Hannibal Smith. Now, in the TV series, this was played by actor George Pappard, and in the movie, it was portrayed by Liam Neeson. Now, in both these movies, this character, Colonel Smith, has this line that he always says. And here it is. Quote, I love it when a plan comes together. End of quote. And I've looked this up. It's listed in the top 100 greatest TV quotes and catchphrases. I love it when a plan comes together. How about you? Do you love it when a plan comes together? And how often does that happen? Not as much as we like. Now we look at the book of Revelation. Specifically, chapter 19. Go back to verse 11 to the end of the, t- to the, end of the chapter we're at this morning. It's the final coming together or the consummation of God's plan. His plan is coming together. He had this all planned out before the foundation of the world. This plan is one that the people, his people, have been waiting on throughout redemptive history. It's the fulfillment of God's promise in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. I will put enmity, or as a New Living Translation, cause hostility between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head, and he, you shall bruise him on the heel. Now, this is after the fall. He <clears throat> comes to Adam, and Adam goes, what happened? Well, the woman you gave me did this, looks to Eve. He says, well, the servant made me do it. And he looks at the servant, which is really Satan. And curses him, and he says this. And it's pointing forward to the Messiah. And really what we see going on in here in the book of Revelation. It's also a time when God's promise to Abraham to bless all the peoples of the world comes to fruitation. Back in Genesis chapter 3, verses 2 and 3, God's speaking to Abraham. I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you. Make your name great, and so you shall be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. It's also a time when God's promise to David that one of his descendants would rule permanently comes to pass. That promise is made back in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 16. Your house and your kingdom shall endure before me forever. Your throne shall be established forever. 
It is when all the Old Testament prophecies will be finally and completely realized. It is when the words of Jesus that he speaks to his disciples on the Mount of Olives will be fulfilled. And I'm speaking of Matthew chapter 24. All these promises going back to Genesis and coming forward are now being fully realized in this moment. Now let's look at the, te- let's look at the text. Verse 17. I saw an angel standing in, in the sun. He cried out with a loud voice, saying to all the birds which fly in mid-heaven. Now the New Living Translations puts it the sky. That's what he's talking about. Come, assemble, or gather together for the great supper of God. The coming of the King of kings and the Lord of lords is the impetus, the incentive, the motivation for this invitation going forth from this angel. And he is superimposed against the backdrop of the sun, creating even greater splendor. He's exceedingly luminous. Every part of this angel is emitting rays of light. He stands where they can clearly see him and where he can clearly see about what's going to happen. Now this great supper of God is the feast of the birds of carrion. In other words, birds of prey, vultures, things that eat flesh. Now this is distinctly different from the wedding supper of the Lamb back in verse 9. This is the most gruesome single act of carnage in the history of mankind. Look down at verse 18. He says, come, assemble yourselves together for the great supper of God. Verse 18, so that you may eat the flesh of kings and the flesh of commanders and the flesh of mighty men and the flesh of horses and those who sit on them and the flesh of all men, both free men and slaves and small and great. Their bodies will fall upon the ground that is drenched with blood. Birds of prey will now devour all their flesh because there's no one on the entire planet to bury the dead. Now you can't avoid the stunning reversal that we see happening here. All of human history is about powerful rulers, kings, wealthy and influential people imposing their wills on others that are weak. Now, all the distinctives that separate us, all the society statuses are completely gone. Everyone, great and small, is reduced to a common denominator, and that is the judgment of the King of Kings and Lords of Lords. This should remind us all that we know this, but we need to remind ourselves it's not about who dies with the most, most toys wins. It does not matter at this point. Everyone's falling judgment to Christ. And his judgment is inescapable. It reminds me of Psalm 139, verses 7 through 12, where the psalmist goes, Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I send to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the dawn, if I dwell in the remotest part of the sea, even there your hand will lead me, and your right hand will lay hold of me. 
If I say, surely darkness will overwhelm me, and the light around me will be night, even the darkness is not dark to you, and the night is as bright as the day, darkness and light are alike to you. You cannot escape the presence of God. You cannot escape the judgment that's going to fall. But right now, you cannot escape the presence of God. Jerry, just bear with me. You have to follow me with the camera if you can. I'm not picking on anybody. But why is it? We have a tendency of sitting back and not up front. I know it's convenient to sit back there. Some of you have difficulty walking. You may have a health issue. But why is it? Do we subconsciously think that we can escape the presence of God somewhere back there than up front? I'm just asking. Because you know what? If I'm a parishioner and I'm not preaching, guess where I like to sit? Take a guess. In the back! Back row Baptist. Even the preacher's wife is sitting in the back. I'll pay for that later. <laughs> yeah, I will. I heard that. <laughs> <laughs> but my point being you cannot escape his presence even in the darkness he sees you he knows exactly where you are at all times and even more than that he knows what you're thinking before you even say it he knows the condition of your heart and this is why I can say his love is so amazing because in spite of what he knows about each and every one of us, all our failings and shortcomings, everything that we do, he still loves us anyway. In spite of all that, he still sent his son to pay the price for you and for me. Now look back at verse 19. I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies assembled to make war against him who sat on the horse and against his army. Perhaps this is the greatest coalition of people and kings ever seen. This is millions upon millions of people. Now the beast is the one who rose out of the sea back in chapter 13, verse 1. He is named first because he is at the center of this movement against the Lamb of God. The very fact that they would even presume to fight against God shows us how their pride and their rebellion has perverted their thinking. They think they can actually defeat the Almighty One. And we're not careful. Our pride and our rebellion will pervert our thinking and then we end up justifying what we're doing. I've heard it said many times, well, I'm better old so-and-so goes to that church. What am I doing? I'm justifying myself and my actions. Do we honestly think, as Roger stands before the King of Kings, and Jesus goes over and looks at what he's done, you think I'm going to be behind him going, oh man, brother, you're brooding on that one. No. I'll be down in the dirt with everybody else knowing my time will be next. We've got to be careful. Our pride, if we really think about it, pride, and the Bible tells us this, pride begins all rebellion and begins the great downfall. 
the moment we think we have it all together, yeah, I'm more spiritual, I've come to this, I've been a Christian all my life, I'm matured, set in my faith, you better watch out because pride always happens before the fall. And when I see all these other people that have fallen over the years, you know some of the scandals that have gone on even within the Southern Baptist denomination. I grease my spirit what they have done, some of them, but how dare I stay in judgment of them? Because except for the grace of God, so go I. I'm not saying they should hold a cannibal, but we got to be careful. We look at other people, and we try to justify ourselves against the actions or inactions of somebody else. They believe that they come to this battle by their own will, their own desire. Reality is, God has summoned them to this spot to do battle with them in order to defeat them. Look at verse 20. The beast was seized. He was captured and with him the false prophet. Now these two, the beast and the false prophet, worked in perfect unison along with a dragon who is Satan. They are the counterfeit of the Holy Spirit. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And they are confident of their victory. They're thinking no one can defeat them. However, the battle's over before it even begins. And the false prophet, it said again in this verse 20, that the false prophet deceived many by the signs that he performed. People who were deceived received the mark of the beast, and they worshipped his image. This being mentioned again is a reminder to us how important it is that signs and wonders in every generation need to be subject to the keenest, the strongest, and intense of spiritual discernment. Have you thought about this? As we've read the book of Revelation, many will be deceived by these signs and wonders. Some of people who consider themselves followers of Christ could be deceived by this. That scares me, because I don't want to be deceived. That's why we almost, all, we almost, excuse me, not almost, we always have to have spiritual discernment. Because if we find the book of Revelation, few are not deceived by them, but here now, no further deceit is even possible. Now look at verse 20. They were captured, and verse 20 says, These two were thrown alive into the lake of fire which burns with brimstone. Some translations will say with sulfur. In fact, the New International, the English Standard, and the New Living all translate a lake of fire which burns with brimstone. They translate it this way, fiery lake of burning sulfur. Now before I even look to see what all that meant, that scares me, just that statement. Kind of a sobering statement, don't you think? Now, sulfur is an abundant, tasteless, odorless, yellow, crystalloid element. It's found especially around uh, volcanic regions. And when it's burned in the air, it emits a blue flame. It releases poisonous, noxious flames. And as we look at this, there's really enough words available in any language to describe the agony that there will be going through. It's a lake of fire. 
not a lake of water. And a thousand years later, Satan will be cast in that same lake. And we're told that the beast and the false prophet are still there and they're burning. If you have your Bibles open, go down to chapter 20, verse 10. It tells us the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are also, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. There's no annihilationism. It's also known as extinctionism or destructionism. This is the belief that all the people who are guilty, that are damned into hell, will at some point be annihilated. Their subconscious will be completely gone. That they will not torment forever and ever. It goes the same way with Satan and all the fallen angels. There's some people go around preaching this and teaching this. But this one text, I can show you many others, does not tell us that. Look at verse 10 again in chapter 20. They are tormented day and night forever and ever and ever. Now I know that's a very hard concept for us to grab a hold of forever because here in this life we experience everything from beginning and the middle and the end. So forever and ever, it's really kind of hard for us to really comprehend that. But my point being, there is no annihilationism. This torture will continue on for all eternity. And back in verse 21, we are told the rest were killed with the sword. Their entire army was killed with the sword, which came from the mouth of him who sat on the horse. The two leaders captured and thrown into the lake of fire, their army was the only thing left to be destroyed. We're told back in verse 15 that Christ has a sharp sword of his mouth. Kills the entire army of rebellious kings and soldiers. And his judgment falls and destroys everything. He speaks it. And it happens. The voice of the fury of the king of kings and lord of lords strikes suddenly. Taking the lives of chiefs captains, kings, millionaires, and they die on the spot, a horrible death. And then we're told probably one of the most disturbing things about this whole passage about these birds of prey, look back in verse 21, all the birds were filled with their flesh, they gorged themselves. And they're invited back in verse 17 to this great supper of God. So there's no one left to bury the dead, and so the birds eat the flesh down to their bones. That's a very gruesome picture, don't you think? And this is what's going to happen. The false prophet and the beast, along with everyone who they deceived, will be destroyed. As I said earlier, this is the final coming together, a consummation of God's plan, which he had from the beginning. Now bear with me, because I want to turn your attention to Matthew 24, 3. I want to set this up. I'm not going to read the whole chapter, but I'm going to read verse 3. 
It tells us he, talking about Jesus, was sitting on the Mount of Olives. The disciples came to him privately saying, tell us, when will these things happen and what will be the sign of your coming and at the end of the age? Now as you glance down through that chapter, this is what you'll find. Jesus tell them, tells them you will hear of wars and rumors of wars in verse 6. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. That's in verse 7. There will be famines and earthquakes. That's in verse 7. Now, I'm going to stop there. Have you watched the news recently? And look back at what he's telling us. Let's continue on. Verse 9. They will deliver you to tribulation and kill you. You will be hated by all nations because of my name. That's in verse 9. Many will fall away, betray one another, and hate one another. That is verse 10. Many false prophets will arise and will mislead many. That's in verse 11. Lawlessness is increased, verse 12. Most people's love will grow cold in verse 12. And he tells us in this chapter, these are just the beginning of birth pangs. It's like a, when a, a lady, a woman gets pregnant, and she has labor pains. The baby's not here yet, but the pain has begun, and the baby will be here shortly. But as I read this, and I think about what I see happening, I can't help but think, it started. God's plan is coming together. It's all coming together. There is a promise in verse 13. The one who endures to the end, he will be saved. We must hold steadfast. We must remain faithful. No matter what. I'm not a prophet. But here in this great country, we've had unprecedented freedom to worship according to our conscience without the government interfering. It might be in the coming days that that will cease to exist. During the pandemic, we saw a little of it. Pastor John MacArthur out there in California went toe-to-toe with the California state about if they should have service or not. It went so as far as some public officials were telling us, if you have service, you can have it, but don't sing because of the virus spreads. We had some that were getting shut down. We had a drive-in Easter service. You remember that during the pandemic? Some people around this country were told, you can't even do that. Even with people being in their own cars, not making contact with each other. And there's more that you can look up, but I'm just trying to make the point. This is not some far out distant in the future. This is happening in and among us. Now, may the doom of the beast and the false prophet and their followers serve as a solemn warning to all who are still rejecting Christ. I sound this alarm, not because I think I'm better than anybody, not because I think I'm spiritually super in some way, but I do so because the love of Christ compels me to. I want to repeat the words of the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 and 15. For the love of Christ 
controls us, compels us. Having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. And he died for all, so that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. I know the answer. And the love of Christ compels me to speak to you the truth. To speak to anybody that I can about the truth of who Christ is, about his good news, before it's everlasting too late. God has done everything to save us. But you must come to Christ. You must receive him and place your faith in him and his completed work on the cross. And that on the third day he gloriously rose from the dead. Rebellion against him means doom, disaster, and death. Now, if you want to take issue with that, you're not taking issue with me. I'm not the one who wrote the book. You're taking issue with the very one whom we're speaking about, the King of kings and Lord of lords, because he is the author of it all. Back in Revelation chapter 20, look a little further down in verse 14 and 15. Death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. How do you get your name in the book of life? By coming to Christ. His blood washing all your sin away. And once you do that, nothing can snatch you out of his hand. I'm not talking about the church membership. I'm talking about when you come to Christ, you confess and you repent and you put faith in Him and Him alone. If you haven't done that, I highly encourage and exhort you to do so this morning. For those of us who are Christians, who are disciples of Christ, who follow Him, we put our faith in Him as our Lord and Savior. I want to remind you of what James says in James chapter 2, verse 26. Just as a body without the Spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. Works does not justify you, but works demonstrates the genuineness of your faith to those inside and outside of the church. And that kind of faith is useful, because that's the kind of faith that God intended it to be. We're not just saved and sat down and say, okay, I'm done. No. It's about using your gifts to build up his kingdom, and to serve him. And there's a spiritual gift inventory on our website. I can get you a hard copy. Everybody has spiritual gifts. Everybody has a talent that God has given you to bring him glory by building his kingdom. If I claim to have faith, but I have no works, the Bible says my faith is dead. Now, once again, I need to stress this. Works does not save you. Works does not get you that relationship with Christ. Only the grace of God does that. It's a, it's a gift of God. Lest any of us should even boast about it. But as a result of that relationship, 
It's only natural that when we come to somebody who's done everything for us, that we want to serve him and bring honor and glory to him. And lastly, I want to end with this. Forestburg Baptist Church, dearly beloved, my brothers and sisters in Christ, I repeat and echo the words of Paul to the church of Philippi in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. He didn't bring you here to leave you hanging. He hasn't brought you this far to leave you now. He's still at work. He hasn't given up on this church body. We are still here. People are still coming. We've had people baptized the last couple of months. Kids from our kids program. God is still in the business of using us for his glory. We know what's going to happen. He tells us. Why did he do that? So we don't get all mad at the TV and scream at the news, which I'm guilty of doing. I'm in it right now. But then I have to remember, Jesus told me this is going to happen. I shouldn't be so surprised by it. If anything, it should be my motivation to get out there and take care of business and building his kingdom. Because there's more who need to hear. There's more that need to come to the saving lodge of Christ. And there's more of God's people who have been sitting on the sidelines far too long watching the game happen. You need to be in the game. Hey coach, send me in. I want to do my job. What do you want me to do, Lord? Everybody in this room within the sound of my voice has a talent to be used for the glory of God. What are you doing? What are you doing with all the gifts that we have? Financially. Freedom-wise here in this country. I mean, think about what we did yesterday, Trey. How many countries could a bunch of guys get together, put targets out in the middle of the field, and shoot, bow, and shoot arrows with our bows at them, and then sit down and talk about God? I'll tell you what, a lot of these Muslim countries, you couldn't do that. So I want to encourage you. Yes, this is sober stuff that we're reading about. But it's not too late. you still got time right here and right now. Do not put off today, I mean put off to tomorrow what you can do today. Take heed of the time you have now. Seize the day. Seize the moment. Because this is all coming to a screeching halt a lot sooner than all we think. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And we thank you for the gift of your Son and the gift of your Holy Spirit. We thank you for forgiveness and your mercy and your grace. We thank you, dear God, that you're still here and you're still working with us. Father, in spite of what you know, you desire to use us in ways that we can't even possibly understand. Father, you want us to be busy about building your kingdom. 
reaching out to this community in Monte County, the state of Texas, the United States of America, and indeed around the world. And Father, I pray if there's anyone within the sound of my voice that needs to come to the saving lives of Christ, now will be the time. Someone realized they've been sitting down and passive, sitting on the bench for far too long. Father, I pray that now will be the time when they want to get busy serving you. Father, it's all about you. It's your plan. It's your salvation. It's all about you. Father, continue to move. May your Holy Spirit continue to have his way in this place. And may each of us respond in obedience to the call that you place on our lives. In Christ's name we pray.